0: Well, thanks, Megan. This is a, really an important series we're delving into this month of September. And uh, all, every week, there, the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about some critically important issues that are at the core of our lives and at the core of what it takes to live an empowered life, the kind of life God wants us to live. And next week, we'll be hearing from Pastor John McDermott from Lawrence. And actually, we're going to do some pastor swapping, so I'll be gone next week, and then in three weeks, um, Dave Diefendorf from Kansas City is coming here, and I'll be gone that week too. But we got some great stuff lined up. Today we're lined up, we're talking about identity, as Megan said, and it's been interesting the last several years, most of the states have changed their laws to open up adoption records. So I don't know, some of you may have been adopted, and maybe more familiar with this than I am, but previously, adoptions tended to be a very private thing. But there are a lot of people who it's become more open. And now even when it was a private adoption in the past, people have the option to find out who their biological parents are. And that presents a very interesting question for someone. Because it gets to the core of what, who am I? Who are my biological parents? I've lived my whole life without having a relationship with them. And now I have the opportunity to meet them. And, and many people... Have, have researched and found and had some pretty amazing things happen through that. I was reading a, a part of the newspaper this past week. It's kind of a guilty pleasure, I hate to admit it, but I just once in a while scan the Dear Abby column. Yeah, I know. It's, it's just just kind of wild to see the, the man, how, how messed up our culture is a lot of times. But the, and so it's an advice column where people write in for advice about situations. And this one situation I happen to read. There, was a, there were two sisters. They, one was 61 and one was 64. And their father had passed away uh, several years prior, prior to now. But recently, the 64-year-old daughter, or sister, was in a grocery store and she saw a man who looked exactly like their dad like 20 years earlier. So he was mid-60s and she, like, it was just weird. She felt like she saw her dad. And so... She ended up striking up a conversation with him, and it turned out he was 65. So he was a year older than her, and he'd been born. He'd been adopted when he was when, when he was an infant, and he was the same state where this family was from, and where the, the parents of these sisters, or where, where, the, where the father of these sisters, um, was from. Were from. Was from. And so the obvious question is: It seems like our dad had another son who we never knew about. It seems like we're siblings. And so the one sister started talking to him. And, but at the end of the day, he, they, he was scared to meet the rest of the family, of this family, or take a DNA test, because it just threw his whole world into upheaval. And the things he brought up were like, I just, I don't want my, I've, I've, I've lived my life, I've got a wife, I've got children, I think it might mess up their world to know my true identity. And I just thought that was interesting, because really, I doubt if it would mess up their world too much. But I think what it spoke to more was his insecurity about his identity, and the questions of like, okay, if my dad is this person, I just, I'm scared of who that person may be, and what all that may mean, and I just don't want to deal with that question about my identity. And I think that is true for all of us when it comes to the issues of our identity. Like, we really, it's really important to us. Who am I? What's my value? What's my worth? What's my purpose? These are hugely important questions. But I think if we're honest, and I am raise my hand first, the questions of who am I bring up a whole lot of insecurity. There's, there, it is just breeding grounds for insecurity of, oh man, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm not all that. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm insecure about that. And so we live in this place of, we deeply care about our identity, but we're, we're insecure about it. And I think a lot of times, when our culture talks about identity, it's, it's so shallow. It's kind of the, like, everyone's a winner mentality. Like, you're a snowflake. And it's like, yeah, that's true, but it can just become so, like, blasé, and it doesn't really mean anything, because it's just, it, like, it talks about how you're special, but it doesn't really deal with the other parts of us where we know where we're not so special. Right? Like, we all know part of our, we've got stuff in us that's not so good, and so our culture doesn't do a great job of addressing this, and, and it's a tough, even in the church, it's really hard to deal with this thoroughly. So what I'm trying to do today is to walk through an overview of what God says about who we are. And it's what God says, spoiler, it's very encouraging, but it's also very real. It doesn't gloss over part of it, and that's actually what makes it the most encouraging in the end. And so, and this kind of follows the, the outlines of the gospel, which the gospel is the message of what, who Jesus is, who God is, and his purpose for our lives and for the world and what he has done in history to restore us to the purpose he has for us. And so, we're going to look at who we are, and it kind of follows the outlines of, of the gospel. So, who am I? Number one, four parts. I am created in God's image. Now, this is, this is huge, and this is foundational, this is core. We look at the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And the, the pinnacle of creation, on the sixth day of creation... For God's made all the planets and the galaxies and the animals and the fish and everything else. In verse 26 it says, Then God said, Let us make man, or mankind in our image, after our likeness. So people are made in God's image. In the same way that that 65-year-old looked a whole lot like his dad, people, you and I, there is a whole lot about us that reflects our creator, that reflects God. Now, that's huge. That gives us value. That gives us worth. That we are a reflection. Just like a a great artist, if you see their their painting on the wall, and people will say, oh, that's a Rembrandt. Like the, The value of the painting comes from who the artist was who created it. And there's the the unique skill and ability and personality the artist comes through in the masterpiece. That is true about every one of us, that we are a reflection of our creator. It goes on in in verse um, 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so this is just breaking it down that we are men and women. There's masculinity and femininity and All of that is a reflection of God, which is interesting to me because God is kind of like the great unknown. You know, God is mysterious. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that it's the mystery, the the glory of, of kings is to search out the mysteries of God. And there's so much about God that's beyond us. And the second closest thing, I think, to that is what's in women. Like, it's a mystery. Like, it's like, wow, that's like, I, there's a lot there, but I don't really understand what's going on. And I think women feel the same way about men, although it's maybe not deep, it's just like blockhead. But I don't, it's just like, wow, that's so different from me. But it's, God has made us, men and women, reflecting his, his nature, his strengths, his personality, his characteristics. It's, it's in us in so many multifaceted ways. And in verse 20, 29, 29, 28, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God gave them a calling. He gave them a responsibility. He said, you have leadership responsibility for this planet. You are the ones who are to bring my ways into the world. You are the pinnacle of my creation. And you are to rule over everything else in bringing about my my ways. So let me just ask you guys. This first thing, we are made created in God's image. What's one implication of that to you? That is that is important to you. Just popcorn fire it out. What does this mean? Your child of the most high God. Your child of the most high God. Awesome. What else? Not everybody at once. <laughs> Who's... I heard a murmuring over here somewhere. Potential. Okay, yeah. Man, talk about potential. Right there. What else? We're a reflection of him. Responsibility. Responsibility. We're, set apart. We're set apart. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's a pretty good identity. Right there. And that's important to remember, too, for every person we meet whether they're someone obviously impressive or someone that we could easily disdain, every person is made in God's image. Everyone, every human being carries the image of God. So that is, that is amazing. It's also a reason for humility, if you think about it, because our identity doesn't come from our, ourself, but it's something that's been given to us. Like, we are created. We are created. We are, it's, it's a gift. God has blessed us and made us, and so it's, we don't have to, like, bring it all about ourselves and accomplish everything on our own, but God has made us, and we find our identity in him, and that kind of takes the pressure off a whole lot when we, when we know that. So we're created in God's image. Unfortunately, the story doesn't just stop there, unfortunately to us, but while we're created in God's image, we're also corrupted by selfishness, corrupted by sin. And it's wild when you read the the Genesis story of the very beginning of human history. Just a couple chapters later, Adam and Eve disobey God and they fall into sin and there's a curse that comes on on the earth and in the very psyche of every human being where although we're still made in God's image, we don't function the way we're supposed to. And in in chapter 6, it, it talks more about this. And in, in chapter 6, verse 5, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Is this what your kindergarten teacher told you about who you were? Probably not. Or maybe on a bad day. Maybe, maybe she did. But, wow, this is, this is the opposite of what we started out talking about. The wickedness of people was great. Every intention of his heart was only evil all the time. Man, that's a bummer. That is really, really intense. It goes on. It gets even worse. It says, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Wow. God made us in his image, and then... Very shortly after that, it says God regretted that he had made us because of the pervasiveness of evil inside our hearts and how we fell so far short of, of, of the life that he called us to live. And, and this is, a lot of life is, is a paradox. And this is a paradox, that we are made in God's image. We're made with dignity, value, worth, purpose. But yet, corruption is so much a part of the human condition at the same time. And that's, you know, it's easy to like, not want to think about that, right? In our culture, you ask the average person on the street, hey, are people basically good or basically evil? I've done this, and probably 90% of people said people are basically good. That's, we don't want to face up to this thing that, wow, no, there is something really, really messed up in us. A few verses later, in, in verse 11, it says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. So, we have a few pictures. Um, I kind of skipped over the first one. Can you go back to that first one, Savannah? That the circles. This is how God made us: three parts—body, soul, and spirit. Um, That's where, just like God is triune, we have three parts: a spirit, which is when God breathed into us, we became a spiritual being, we became alive. We have a soul which is our our emotions, and our thoughts, our intellect, and our will, our decision-making. And we have a body. And when God made us, it says he called it, he said it was very good. He called all of his creation good. This was a good creation. We were a good creation. But when sin, when when Adam and Eve disobeyed, the condition of people, our identity became corrupted, and every person since then, and the next, yeah, Next picture is like this and really it's not showing up so well here but it's we try to it's like a darker like we became corrupted and our spirit actually died. And the part of us that was supposed to lead us became shriveled up and we became spiritually dead. And our souls, our, our emotions and our minds and our will took over. Instead of being governed by God, we start doing things out of our own soul power, our own natural strength for ourselves. And this is something that, that God is not pleased with. And so really, that's the whole place that when Jesus showed up on the scene, it was to address this. Is that, man, we, are, we were created to have a great identity, but we've been corrupted. And Jesus came, and he, he lived the perfect life we should have lived. And then he died the death that we should have died, that we deserve to die, so that our sins could be forgiven, and we could be restored to the kind of identity that God made for us. And this is, the opportunity we have in our identity is is the next part of this is to be renewed in Christ. And this, for every person who acknowledges their sin and says, hey, I am a sinner, I have rebelled against God and fallen away from Him, and I need a Savior, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I'm turning from my sins, and I'm trusting what Jesus did to give me a new life. We become renewed in Christ. And so much of the, the Bible is, is describing this that in one of the greatest my favorite descriptions is, is in Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17 and 21. It says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold the new has come. Is, we're a new creation. We have a restored identity, a renewed identity that God, when he looks at us, our core. Is back to the righteous, whole, blameless person He made us to be, and that's incredible. It goes in verse twenty-one. It says, for, our, "For for our sake, Jesus died on the cross. For our sake, He became sin, who knew no sin, He, so that we, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God." And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He went to the cross. He took. Our identity, our sinful, shameful identity on himself. And then he gave us his identity that is perfect and righteous, the kind of person God made us to be. He became sin so that we could become his righteousness. Now, this is is incredible. But what it means is that our identity doesn't come from our accomplishments, but it comes from his accomplishments, his accomplishment in particular. And one of, I heard this once, I read this in, there's a book called The Search for Significance. It's a great book. It talks all about this. And it talks about people tend to seek significance. You could say people always seek an identity through either our accomplishments or the approval of others. And if we would break up the room, we could probably like say, hey, who tends to, Primarily, seek it through accomplishments, you go on this side of the room, who tries to find it through your through the affirmation of others go on this side of the room? Most of us we both we do both, but we tend more towards one than the other. So some of us and i 'm more in this category, my tendency is to try to seek my identity through being successful through through you know, working hard, through having accomplishments, through being good at my job or. Being, back when I was a student, good at school or good at whatever endeavors I'm trying to do. Like I tend to try to find my identity through those things. Others, and I, we all do this too, to a large degree, but others it's more primary, really try to seek our identity through the affirmation of other people. And so you may be a class clown who's like trying to get people's attention or whatever. You may try to, to look really well so that other people think, oh yeah, they're, they're beautiful, or they're good looking, whatever it is. We all try to find our identity in either our accomplishments or the affirmation of others. Now, I didn't go very far down that, like trying to look very good, because that was a fruitless cause, so I gave up <laughs> on that very quickly. But that's what we do. But the gospel eradicates all that, and it says, none of those things are our true identity. But our identity is that God has made a way for us to receive His identity through faith in Jesus. and He has adopted us into His family. Not based on what we do, but because of His unconditional love and the transformation that He brings. When I was a college student, I had a... I was really... God was working in my life and I was really just eager to learn and grow and I was devouring the Bible and... Doing everything I could, I started listening to this this Christian leader named Dennis Peacock, and some of you have done. We have our discipleship resources, Kingdom of Living One, Two, and Three. Kingdom of Living Three is a series of teachings that that he um, that he does, that he he taught, he teaches. And I started listening to a whole bunch of audio teachings of Dennis Peacock. This was back in the day when it was cassette tapes. You guys, you know, a lot of you have never seen a cassette tape, hardly. But I started collecting these cassette tapes. I still have a bunch of them, and I listen and. And he was a very intense individual who God had radically transformed. And one day he came to Kansas. I was in college. And I was at a meeting where he was at. And I kind of helped him out with his book table, with his resources table. And afterwards, he was talking to my, my pastor. And he said, hey, I met that Jonathan Hub guy. Yeah, I, I like him. He's, he's really intense. I was, and when, I, when my pastor told me that, I was like, oh, Wow. Dennis Peacock, like Mr. Intensity, if you—he's one of the most intense people I know. He said I was intense. Like to me, that was like the ultimate compliment. Like, yeah. Like most people, for the rest for the last twenty-two years, my wife has been wishing I wasn't so intense. It's not always a good thing, but to me, it was like, yeah, that's great. And so I just started like, wow. I was like, I was just—it was kind of like both of those things, like my accomplishments and the affirmation of others. It was like both hitting right there, and. I started just like, wow, that's great. And I heard the Holy Spirit just speak to my heart and say, Dennis Peacock thinks you're intense, but I call you son. And it just was like, boom. Like, that's what, it just was so powerful for me. Like, that's, yes, that's really where my affirmation comes from. That's really where my identity comes from. Not from what I can accomplish, not from what anybody says of me, but the God of the universe calls me his son. And that's why when we are in Christ, he calls you his son, or he calls you his daughter. And we have a new identity because of that. There was another adoption story that came out recently. Rob told me about it this week. And some of you may have heard it. This is an amazing story involving uh, the running backs coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. And his name is is D-Lan McCullough. And he was adopted as a young child, grew up in Youngstown, Ohio, and had a, good, had a good mom who raised him, and became a football player in high school. And when he was a 16-year-old, this recruiter showed up at his high school from the University of Miami, and this recruiter was driving a cherry red Mercedes Benz with, with gold-colored uh, uh, rims on it, he pulled up and d saw it. He's like, oh, that's cool. And he went to the office and then um, he got a call to come see the principal and this recruiter was coming to talk to him to recruit him to the University of Miami. And there was this instant connection. And d respected this recruiter and there was a connection the other way around too. The recruiter's name was, was Sherman Smith. And they, they sort of bonded. And for that reason, d went to the University of Miami so that he'd be coached by him. He that, that, ended, that began like a 20-some-year-old mentoring relationship. And at, long story short, D-Land was one of these guys who, at some point in his life, he started having kids, and he wondered, who are my real parents? And he, he started researching and pursuing that. Long story short, he found out that this man who had recruited him and become his mentor for 22 years or 20-some years, was his actual biological father. It's crazy, it's just crazy. He actually already knew his dad, and had a relationship with him. And the similarities were just uncanny. They both became running backs. They both became, uh, they both became Hall of Fame University of Miami running backs. They both went to the NFL. They both went into coaching, and oh, there were times along the way where they were in the same place. And people were like, they would joke about, oh, you're like father and son, like you look alike. Even the way you run is the same. Like There's like this ongoing joke. And sure enough, there was a reason. They, they were father and son. And it's just amazing how much of that identity was passed on from the father to the son. And I just love the story, but in, in this article that ESPN wrote about it, they quote, and, and he says, if you would have told me to pick who my father was, there's no way I would have picked him because I might have thought I wasn't worthy for him to be my father. I felt like my blessings came full circle because I'd always wanted to be somebody like him. Now, isn't that so cool? Like, the guy he would most want to be his dad and most want to be like, that was his dad. And there already was a relationship of some sort, although when they realized they were father and son, the relationship went to a whole new level. And that's so much how it is with us, that the ultimate father that we would want it's almost too good to be true, that that is the Father who we have. And the type of person that we would want to be, that's the kind of person he wants us to be, and has made us to be, and has brought about his grace to bring that about. Um, D-Lan said this, he said, Now I know who I am and where I'm from. I got all the pieces to the story. I got them all now. And, and that's, that's probably the most important part of what I'm talking about today, is we get our identity from knowing our Father, from knowing who God has made us in Christ and, and receiving that by faith in Him. There's one more part, though, I want to talk about because even after we're, we become a Christian, even after we get a new identity, there's still a paradox, right? Because we have this new identity and it's real. And When God looks at, our, looks at us, He sees the core of we're righteous and we're His daughter, we're His son. We're, we have a purpose, we have a calling, but there's still a whole bunch in us that's not the kind of person God made us to be, and that's where I think sometimes in in Christianity we can overlook this we can we can magnify it or we can overlook it, but it's important to have it in proper perspective um, but the, the the last part of this identity is who we are is that we are someone who God is transforming through His spirit, and I love I felt like when Matt. Let us in the, in the communion. It's like he preached this whole message already. I love it. But he was talking about that. It's like, yeah, through what you did on the cross and through my relationship with you, you are transforming me. And that is an important part of our identity is that in our core, we already are who God made us to be. But in our souls and in our, in our bodies, there are still habits. There are still ways of living, ways of thinking that are not the way God made us to be. Um, but it's a process of of being transformed. The Apostle Paul wrote about, wrote about his life in, in Romans 7, and this is Paul. This is the guy who's like, we think, has got it together more than, more than anybody else, almost. And, but he talks about this, this conflict between his new nature and his flesh, or the part of him that still wants to live selfishly. And in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, and this is so relatable, He says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want to do. But I do the very thing I hate. Man, that's so relatable. I feel this way so much. In verse 17 he says, So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not... And then in verse twenty, now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. There it is. There's that tension that we all feel, and we got pictures for this too. Um, the circles. It's that's how we are after we're born again. Is we have a new nature in our core. Our spirit is renewed, but we still have the, our soul and our body that's corrupted. And go ahead to the next one, Savannah. That's what's called our, our flesh. The Bible calls our flesh. But as, this, as the process of being a Christian is seeing God transform our mind, our emotions, our decisions, through an ongoing process of walking with him, um, until ultimately we will be completely restored when, when Jesus comes back. A lot of this we can experience in life, and then Je- but Jesus is the one doing it, and when he returns, he will completely transform us into the person that he's made us to be. Um, How can we partner with him in this process? A couple weeks ago, I was out of town, but Rob talked about the story of when Jesus was asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter responded and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're blessed because you didn't figure this out by yourself, but my Father revealed it to you. And then he said, you're Peter, and that name means rock. And Jesus said, on this rock, on you, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And it's amazing how when we see who Jesus is, when we have a revelation of who Jesus is, as Peter did and said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Savior. Then we get a revelation of who we are. And Jesus looked at him and said, yeah, you see who I am. Now I'm going to tell you who you are. Your name's Peter. You're no longer going to be a wishy-washy person like you've been, but you're going to be a rock. And I'm going to build my church on you. And the same is true for us, is that when we see who Jesus is, he looks at us, and he tells us our unique identity, and our unique calling. And he shows us who he's made us to be. And that's incredible. But what's really interesting is that the very next passage, and actually let's flip, let's flip to it. I kind of skipped through some of that. But the next verse, in verse 21, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go... Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So he's telling about this is God's plan. I'm going to be crucified and raised from the dead. This is how God's going to bring his, his new life into the world. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. That's just kind of funny. if you think about it. Here's Jesus. Here's God. And Peter says, whoa, 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 here, let me correct you. You you're, you know, you—that you, can't be true. Let me—and he rebukes Jesus. Kind of wild. He's, Peter's getting the firm. He's getting the rock part, but he's kind of, you know, it's got a little bit of a manifestation that's not quite the right way, and that's how it is for us too. But it says, but, but he turned. But Jesus turned to Peter, and said to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan!" Wow. How you want, man? You want to hear God speak to you personally? Well. <laughs> Maybe he will call you Satan once in a while. I don't know. That's what he did to to Peter. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You're a hindrance to me. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Another time, Jesus told the Jews that their father was Satan, because they were seeking their own interests instead of God's interests. And the key for us in this transformation process is whose interest am I setting my mind on? Am I seeking my own interests, my own desires, or God's desires? And the way of God is, is through the cross. It's through death to our old life. Death to our own selfish desires. But when we do that, we receive his resurrection life. And Jesus was saying, hey, I've got to go to the cross and be resurrected. And Peter's like, no, 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 that's not the plan. That's not the, that can't be the plan. You know, we want a glorious plan. We want a plan of success and honor and recognition. And Jesus said, no, it's got to go through this place of, of death to come into something more. And that's the same thing he says to us. He's like, I wanting to bring you into something more. But there are, this is the stuff in our flesh that has to be put to death, that has to be crucified. And that's a process of saying, God. What's death? Death is not getting what I want. That's what feels like death is when I want something and God says, no, this is what I want for you. And I say, okay, I'll say no to that and yes to you. That feels like death, but it brings the resurrection that God has for us. And we experience transformation through, through that. So, man, that's the, the identity thing is that we have a new identity in Christ when we're born again, but we have to receive it. By faith, and we have to put to death the stuff of our old life to to come into that more. Where does that leave us? Well, if you have not yet received a new identity through Christ, that's the next step for you. That's the opportunity for you to say, okay, I was made in God's image, but I'm corrupted by sin, but God offers me a new life. If I will turn from my sin and put my faith in Jesus, I can have a new identity. If you're in a place like I am, a lot of us here say, man, I have a renewed identity, but I don't always believe it. I often don't believe it. Then how do we, how do we, how do we walk in that more fully? Well, it's a matter of taking God's Word, what God says about us, and learning it and believing it and speaking it to our soul and saying, no, I'm not the failure that I feel like. I'm not, my, my life is not dependent upon what other people say or how I feel, but it's based on what God says of me. And I'm gonna find out what God's word says, and I'm gonna speak it to myself, and I'm gonna believe it until I'm walking in that more fully. And we have actually on our resources table, we have these confession sheets. And these are the first one is who we are in Christ. What's my identity in Christ? These are truths from the Bible, scriptures, and I do this all the time. I'm just apart from, I read it and speak it to myself because I need to build up myself and who God's called me to be. Apart from Jesus Christ, I can do nothing. I'm not a failure. I'm the overcomer. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and as we speak this to ourselves and believe it, we take on, we walk in the new identity that God's given us. You know, some of us maybe need to, need to, are in a place where we need to recognize, okay, yeah, I have a new identity, but I'm giving my flesh way too much room. And I need to deal with that too. And so I need to stand in who I am, but also be intentional about putting to death my agenda in order to walk in God's agenda. And as we do that, trusting in his ongoing work in us. There's a promise that God gives us. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, I'm just going to close with this. Paul, the apostle, writes this again. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Sanctify means transform you it means cleanse you and bring you fully into being the person you've meant to be may the god of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it and this is the promise that god is the one who created us god's the one who gives us a new identity through Christ, and God is the one who transforms us as we trust in Him and partner with Him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you this morning for being such an amazing God and making us in your image. Thank you for the identity you've given us. Lord, I... I thank you that everyone here, every person in the world has an incredible identity as an image-bearer of God. Lord, I, I pray this morning that old thoughts, old lies, old accusations, old things that have been spoken to us, either by others or by the enemy, that those would wash away and be replaced by your truth of who you made us to be. God, I pray for for anyone here this morning that hasn't yet received that new identity, if that's you I just encourage you if you're ready to repeat after me, Lord Jesus I turn from my old life and I turn to you, I trust what you've done on the cross to give me a new life and give me a new identity I want to follow you and live for you God I pray for every one of us that we would walk in the identity you've given us we would see people the way you've you've made them. Would help us to see people as your image bearers as so valuable. Would help us to, to help bring other people into, into your purpose and your identity for them. God, we thank you for this. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright. Well, Megan is going to close us out.